Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Gabbing Gauchos, the only triathlon podcast scientifically proven to make you more attractive to the opposite sex. I'm your host, Dr. Steve, and we're joined today by our very own professional triathlete, Dr. Sean Harrington. Hey there. The gratuitous gabber himself, Coach Matt Eisen of the UCSB triathlon team and CTS coaching. Howdy. And our special guest, Jen Shulman, one of our local rising stars. Hey. Okay, so on today's episode, we're first going to talk about what's going on with the UCSB team because we've just gotten back to school. This is mid-January now. And so we need to check in with Matt and, and see how things are going, see what the coaches like and uh, what the upcoming race schedule is. So Matt, why don't you kick us off with a summary of uh, kind of where you're at in the training cycle and where the team's headed? Well, for the most part, they don't really do anything over Christmas break. Some of them work out a lot. Eddie. And Sarah and Iris, et cetera, et cetera, Ricky, et cetera. I don't want to leave. I don't want to name names because then I leave people out. Um, but then a lot of them don't work at it at all. There's like no middle ground. There's just no middle ground, it, it seems. Um, so first week's easy, and then we just kind of build into it. And by today, they all did pretty well. They seemed pretty into it. What did they have today? Hmm? What did they have today? A brick. Our first brick of the year. It's exciting. How'd it go? Well for some people. Less well for others. They just don't eat. Like, and it's consistent. It's just consistent. Did you eat? I'm feeling really bad today. Did you eat breakfast? No. I'm feeling really tired today. Did you eat breakfast? No. It's just a consistent, consistent. How just, how, how long did the brick end up taking them? Uh, about two and a half hours. And and did many of them have food with that? No, no one. Yeah. Except for Ricky, who had like... Wait, a, Ricky is the one with the food. Well, yeah, Ricky has food with him everywhere. Usually pig. Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. Is it just like meat? Like yeah. a bag of meat? No, he he t- he ate too much and cramped. He ate like 500 calories and didn't drink anything. So uh-huh. that'll do that. So we got both ends of the spectrum. We just don't have the middle. So what would be kind of a good nutrition plan for, say, a two and a half hour workout, Brick? Um, so just before you work out, like the research says uh, low glycemic stuff is not good before you work out. Like you want something well, that what just raises glycemic? your glycemic? Glycemic index. What is the uh, A low score means it's less prone to spike your blood sugar a high score means it spikes your blood sugar immediately so like oatmeal is relatively low for a carbohydrate a bag of peanuts like actual peanuts because there's no carbohydrate in it would score like a zero because it's just fat and protein and so then high would be like a piece of candy a piece of candy a white bagel a white potato um that type of thing cereal so having something like that even if it's a tablespoon of honey um to spike your blood sugar is better than nothing uh something easy to digest because most people are waking up and going you know giving like 30 minutes to an hour before they actually start working out do people have problems with like stomach cramps having just eaten right before the workout is that another concern that is a concern that's why i say something that's like very high on the glycemic index because those are also very easy to generally very easy to digest because it's the higher score you get the closer you are to sugar so a banana so yeah like a banana with like some honey on it yeah yeah bagel with some honey or a bagel yeah bagel yeah so during a workout you want to eat stuff with a high glycemic index is that what you before said? and during and before after and, oh all of the three um because you're it's for something longer if you're going to work out an hour you probably don't need anything before during or right after um that's a good way to gain weight and age groupers have that issue with the exception to that being though if you're working out three times a day yes but if you're doing like one one hour session in the morning you probably don't need that recovery drink um, that's you're probably taking in more calories than you burned from doing the workout. Do you have a, a rule of thumb for calories per hour or like um, um, calories per hour, depending on who you are, a hundred calories per hour once you go over an hour. So if they as simple as 200 calories probably would have helped out the kids a ton to 50. I mean, I would think even more for longer stuff like, yeah, like a cliff but, bar seems to be pretty appropriate per hour, which I think is closer to 250. It's very, um, you're getting into like if Jen is trying to maintain her figure and stay fit, then she doesn't need like she's not training to PR her half Ironman. So she doesn't need to practice taking in 300 calories an hour. So on her two hour workouts, if she is taking in 600 calories, then she's probably overkilling it. You know, you could do the workout. Yeah, and then I throw up. Yeah. I do that a lot. Yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> then you could just do. Basically, eat to do the workout. So start on the low end, and if you can't do it, if you're fading, eat a little bit more. Will the intensity of the workout affect um, how many calories you need? Yes and no. 
So if you're, again, if you're working out under two hours, you should have enough glycogen to do the whole thing. Assuming that's your only workout of the day and you ate well the day before, didn't do anything crazy the day before, you should be able to get through the whole thing. Um, the weird thing is if you go long and slow, it's easier to digest calories. So people normally feel more hungry and eat more versus if they're doing something that's both intense and long. Um, but the intense and long one would be the one that you actually need the calories for. So if you're wearing a heart rate monitor, does your cycling computer do a reasonably good job of telling no. you how many calories you burned? No, no. Uh, the algorithms are all over the place from like the difference between Strava and Garmin connect is like a 50% difference. Um, they just can't basically all they're doing. They're better with a heart rate monitor, but it's still looking at speed it's it's factoring in speed and we know how variable speed is so they just don't a power meter is crazy and this is total coincidence but it, it works out that the amount of kilojoules you do in a ride which you need a power meter to get that number is almost like very 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 close to the amount of kilojoules calories you burned that's changes depending on how hot or cold it is and then it doesn't factor in the afterburn where you're metabolism is high after the ride so, so would you try to take in that many calories during that ride or would you try to some it, again it depends what are your goals so in for example if i'm training for an iron man there's there's no way i can intake the amount of calories as kilojoules i'm expending because i i mean i, I that ride was like three thousand and an iron man is like three thousand calories three thousand kilojoules i'd throw up or get diarrhea Both. so you both yes so you have to have a give and take on that eating as much as you can but if you're doing it um for weight loss like if you're getting into this sport for weight loss and overall health then you definitely want to err on the side of just getting through the workout so what are some of the signs and symptoms of i guess bonking would be kind of the term people would use if you didn't have enough energy versus just being tired from the workout being hard um the best sign is you get home and you have some sugar if you feel better in like 10 or 20 minutes. That's the number one sign that you were just calorie depleted. Um, the other stuff is a very like a very quick lights out. So in the span of five or 10 minutes, you go from feeling good to feeling terrible. It's just a sharp drop off. Um, those are the two big signs. But the best way to figure that out is to do the workout, then have a little bit of sugar. And if you feel way better after your recovery shake, then yeah, you were just, you just didn't eat enough. What should, uh, what should be in your recovery shake then for after? Um, again, goals. So if you're looking at weight loss, you always want to, I think we overestimate how many calories we're burning when we work out. But ideally the literature says some protein, some carbs, um, and in like a four to one ratio is the best absorbable rate. But one of my favorite studies has cyclists do like a really intense ride for three or four days in a row. And one group takes like, not this brand, like a name brand recovery shake that's perfect. And the other group eats a Big Mac from McDonald's. And after four days, their glycogen levels and every, all of their blood levels were basically the same. Like, Two hours after they one had the recovery shake and one ate the Big Mac, there'd be no way for science to tell that one had an ideal recovery drink and one did not. Where did the four to one ratio come from then? I mean, Is I remember like the original ratio? like yeah. milk, you know, chocolate milk recovery drink, and that was basically the four to one milk industry pushing it, right? Yeah, but it's but they look for the amount of protein getting to your muscle. So I, I don't want to talk above like i i don't know if they have to do a muscle biopsy for that or if they can just do it with a blood draw but they're looking at like if you look on the back of a muscle milk most of them will show like a chart saying um protein activation in muscle with these different recovery drinks and theirs will be the highest at an hour after so basically the you're trying to give your muscles what they need to heal in the time that they most need it so if I'm a college student and I'm new to triathlon and I go to the dining commons after practice, what should I eat? Healthy, whole foods. I mean, I, I think your best bet, and it again, we overestimate or put too much emphasis on, this is true for all the stuff, the last 1% of our training. Instead of saying like, 
what do I need to do to be able to do this training and be healthy? And then you'll go the fastest. So if you're going to the dining commons and only eating a salad, like a little bit of common sense should tell you that's probably not enough, right? But if you go in there and you eat 20 strips of bacon, <laughs> Ricky, like that's probably airing on the wrong side too. Like there's a happy medium. It doesn't, nobody really needs to be weighing their food or overanalyzing it. Um, you just want to eat so that you can do the next day's workout. And if you weigh yourself every three or four days over the course of a couple months, track it. If you're gaining weight, cut out a little bit of calories. If you're not, um, then keep doing what you're doing. My favorite thing is just to work out more. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You can, this gets really technical, but, or geeky. You can work out so much that your cortisol levels go up and you store fat more. And that's more of an issue for age group Ironman athletes. But if you, if you are in a constant state of overtraining, your testosterone levels drop. And for the same amount of calorie intake, you might actually put on more fat than if you were training less. Because your body thinks that it's just stressed out yes. all the time. Starvation mode. Yeah. It's preparing. It's, it basically is like you're in a catastrophic event, like a drought or whatever. We do a fun sport. That's nice. We do a sport where you can really mess yourself up. Like if you mentally, physically, mentally, emotionally, and physically, yeah, yeah. I think it's especially perpetuated by like just work harder and you'll do better, you know. Instead of the work idea, smarter, work smarter, and understand that I think I've said this on this podcast before. You see someone that's seven feet tall, and you're like, they're gonna be fucking good at basketball. People are born with genetic engines, and we can't see it, but some people are going to show up to a bike ride their first time and have an FTP of three hundred. And that's just the way it is. And you got to accept that, that you, there are people out there who could work harder than anyone else in the world and not get an FTP of 300 because of their genetic predisposition. Do you think um, genetics will become more and more uh, limiter in triathlon? Like as the sport progresses to be a top pro or even a pro in general, you're going to start to have to have the genetic gifts. Um, I mean, we, we saw this with running in like the seventies and eighties when running was you work super hard and you can get really, really good at it. And then we met the Kenyans and now it's pretty much universally accepted. Like there is a predisposed advantage. Um, We don't really understand why if it's, if it's entirely cultural, which I still count that into like, there are, there's your internal genetics in terms of how your body functions. And then there's like how you are raised that you really can't control. If you're born in a country where running is number one, So all of that plays into it, but, and then in cycling, the idea that you can work really hard and get really good, like that's kind of gone to this point. You can pick out who's going to be a pro cyclist and with pretty good accuracy when they're like 12 years old now, um, because they'll just, they'll be 12 years old and have an FTP of 300 or their dad will have been a professional cyclist. Um, and with triathlon and triathlon's the next one that'll go and then it'll be ultra running because right now in ultra running you can basically work super super hard and be really good but as more people work super super hard it's gonna come down to genetics you can't outwork everybody in the world and the idea that the guy who wins the gold medal in triathlon is working significantly harder than the guy who got 30th so what's what's limiting us right now in triathlon? Is it is it the money? Because right now it seems like to actually make money as a triathlete, like you have to be, you know, one of the best three in the country or something. Yeah. Like, like to to really make a like a legitimate, you know, say several hundred thousand dollars. If you're not one of the top three, you're you're nowhere near that. You're making a living. Yeah, right? it, it's a numbers game, right? Um, this will piss people off, but football players joke that they're basically just rejected basketball players. Because they'd all rather play basketball because you get way more money, way more attention, and you don't beat the shit out of your body every day. So they all want to play basketball, and then the ones who aren't good enough to play basketball join the football team. And the best of them become professional football players. And the kids that don't do well at that, maybe like in my area, they run cross country. And so you you get the trickle down so that the cross country team is generally... Not the most talented, but they that could explains be, a lot about you. They could yeah. be good at cross country. They're just not good at those sports. But you're still not. You don't have the full pull of 
you know, everybody in the country. Like, why is Jamaica great at sprinting? Partly because they probably have a really good doping system, but also partly because they, that's what everybody wants to be. Sean has an engine that is clearly good enough to make, to place in the money as per, as a professional triathlete. He works super hard. We don't know what the like ceiling is, but all that really matters is that he's continuing to progress. Jen has a massive engine. That was oh, a compliment yeah. from oh, Matt. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways you can kind of quickly see it is how how quick someone maybe progresses in mm-hmm. a somewhat new sport. Like if, you know, someone comes from a swim or maybe a run background and then they very quickly pick up cycling, they probably have a pretty good engine. Or, or if they're a good swimmer and pick up running fairly quickly because a lot of swimmers can't run very well. It, it's a tough transition. That's funny you mentioned that because I, I can still remember my time from the very first sprint triathlon that I did down in Oxnard. And I think my 5K, well, I don't remember what my time was, but I remember my pace was maybe 6.30 per mile or something. And I would say that I haven't actually changed that much as far as my running speed since that time. And I've been doing triathlon for like 12 years now. So I wouldn't say that my engine is particularly yeah. good for running. Well, and, and your engine actually was probably most developed from all that swimming you had done. So you were probably like the yeah. fittest you were, you know, right as you left, you know, high school swim club. That's depressing. It's like yeah. the same thing. Yeah. You will never be a faster swimmer no, than you were at the I end of high school. No, I will never be. No. Nope. I'll never be as fast a runner as I was in college. John seems to think he's faster now than he was in college. He's, John we, has... we talked about that last time, actually. Yeah, he only ran really like a year or so in college, though. I mean, he got into triathlon pretty quickly. I would I would say most like high school runners could still actually improve quite a bit in triathlon through college. You know, if you're a college runner, you've like spent a lot more time really like developing that. If you're, you know, I think swimmers seem to be able to develop a little bit sooner. So your high school swimmers, by the time they're 18, are pretty well developed. I mean, if you look at the Olympics, what's like the average age for a lot of those? The the women are younger than the guys. Yeah. The women, it's pretty, it's shockingly young for a lot of, across all sports, really. But I mean, for running, you, you see it late, like, you know, there are your 21-year-olds that are making the Olympics, but there is a lot more older athletes and it's becoming running. more and more common in running to have a 20 year old win world cross country or a world track event yeah i know in swimming specifically the fastest female swimmers are like 13 14 15 that's kind of where they peak out yeah it's really depressing going back to some with your club and all the 12 and 13 year olds are just absolutely destroying you well i don't know if you guys know this but jen actually was a part of the nova swim club in Orange County and Nova in the swimming world is actually one of the top uh, clubs in Southern California. They have a huge program. They have a huge number of people, but they also turn out a huge number of really, really talented swimmers. I don't know enough about swimming to confirm this, but I do know we've produced or they have produced a number of Olympic athletes. Um, It's pretty, pretty standard, really top collegiate swimmers as well. What was training with Nova like? I mean, are so there's kind of two schools of thought in, in swimming specifically. Some clubs are very much grind them up and whoever survives is a diamond. And there are others who are more about the quality over quantity and try to you know give more attention to everybody. Yeah, so Nova has four different locations, I think. I swim at Los Cab with a coach called or named Jerry Marshburn, and she was awesome. And we did quality over quantity for sure which was a huge transition from my other swim club. And I definitely improved a lot with that. And what I mean, I say quality over quantity. We're still swimming at least five or six K a practice and how many, how many, a couple doubles a week. So would you, how many would it be like 30 K a week then? or uh, Probably a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, six times five, at least plus a Saturday practice plus two morning practices. Jen helped me out with a chart that I still use for age groupers who think they're going to become excellent swimmers (laughs) where I'm like, you got to understand by the time Jen was 15, she had swam more than you will swim in your entire life swimming at the rate you're swimming, which would be like if the, and you know, swimming 15 K a week is a lot for a triathlete. Like they're never going to catch her by the time she's 15. She's swam more in her life than they will ever do. So is this because basically swimming so low impact that you can survive this much volume? Actually, a lot of swimmers get hurt. Um, I went through multiple injuries as a swimmer. Most everyone gets hurt swimming, just shoulder injuries. Rotator cuff injuries yeah, are most common. Yeah, it's really, really common. So and, and you, you do that's... have to be pretty careful with it. And that's volume that mostly yeah. causes that? 
but they're still doing way more hours than a a similar cross-country program i trained more high school swimming than i will ever train for triathlon i was training at my most about 20 hours a week how does like the aerobic toll on the body compare i mean so if you just kind of throw out the injury part of it like just like the aerobic system like how much it can take well they're usually the most well-developed like if you have to pick um if you're a triathlon coach and you have to pick a background you generally want somebody coming from a swim background um because they have the most well-developed aerobic system some of the clubs out there that do quantity over quality they're doing like a hundred thousand yards yep. or meters a week which That's is ridiculous. insane yeah. yeah it's a lot i can't That's even imagine that not good no I mean, if you were to equate that to like miles of running, what would that be? Well, I, I look at it in terms of hours. So sure, if yeah. you run a hundred miles a week at an average of seven minute pace, what is that? Like 14 hours, 15 yeah, hours 14 of running, hours, yeah. 14 hours of running. She's a 13 year old, 14 year old swimming more aerobic hours than that. By distance, it's about a factor of four. So a hundred meters in the pool is like 400 meters on the track. Um, so they're well, well developed. And then you could say, well, do you want a cyclist? coming like as a triathlon coach would you want a cyclist and the answer is usually no because they're so raw they have a big aerobic engine but they're just so screwy developed where they've not they don't know how to swim which is the hard thing and they don't they don't have any skill well of the three sports you it's easy to argue that cycling is the one that has the least amount of skill required yeah so you can teach somebody with a big engine how to cycle fast very very quickly you can't teach a cyclist how to swim or how to run as quickly Teaching every, anyone how to swim is actually really hard. It is, because yeah. by the time Jen was 15, she swam more than I will in my entire life. That's Lucky the crazy me. part, is that as yeah. a kid, you can't really pay attention to instructions and stuff. So how is it this magical process where these young kids who can barely sit still suddenly become extremely efficient at whatever sport that they pick? Well, I think a lot, there's a huge dropout rate, like at least at the club. It was a big club in Raleigh, like Colin Jones came from it. Um it was you get so many 10 year olds the ones who figure it out on their own are the ones who continue to swim at a high level so it's like um teaching a 10 year old the difference between a two beat and a six beat kick or an eight year old good luck 30 percent of them figure it out and they go on to group one and then the other 60 percent go on to group two and three you know the next year yeah Yeah, i remember specifically there was one girl who dropped out of swimming when i was in high school because she felt like she wasn't improving. She couldn't really, she never really felt like she figured out the stroke and she was like a, a really slow kicker. She couldn't keep up. Like we were doing 50 meter kicks on a minute and you know, she was coming in at a minute or one one Oh five or one ten. Okay. That's actually really hard. That's a really hard interval for 50 meter kick. I suck at kicking. So <laughs> not compared to triathletes. I remember like practicing oh, yeah. with Sean and just like laughing out loud kicking next to him. Cause like Sean is one of the strongest people I know, especially with his legs, but just kicking, you just sink. Yeah, I'm an awful kicker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talk to age groupers about relative speed in the pool and how important a kick is, and I'm like, there's no reason you can't hold 120 per 100-yard average without ever learning how to kick properly. Like, you can do that, which puts you front of the race in a triathlon. So we need to not worry about that. you got to understand, that's your idea fast. Actual fast swimming is under that minute like so you need to have a kick to be holding under a minute per hundred yard these days if you're if you're not taking maximum advantage of your 15 meter underwaters yeah then you're back at the race yeah but, but the, i can't do a 15 meter underwater to save my life there's a, no. such a discrepancy between what we as triathletes getting into the sport think is fast and i think they try and train too much like a 12 year old swimmer and really? develop like oh i have to learn this two beat and the six beat kick Instead of um, just being like, if I get really fit, I can get down to a minute 30, minute 20 per 100 yards. If I just get really fit, then, then you can do that. So what, what do you focus on as an age grouper then? If, if Fitness. You're... Like, I mean, a little bit of, you, there has to be the basis of a stroke work, but everybody's so different. And if you're coming from a run background, I pointed to Sean's ankles or my ankles. Like, if we try and develop a kick, we're probably going to get really hurt running later on. So we're just going to... Why is that? Um, The difference between a runner's ankle and a swimmer's ankle, swimmers have like dancer's feet. So you can really plantar flex. That that means uh, point the toe. Yeah. um, Which leads to a super tight Achilles, which leads to Achilles issues and plantar fasciitis. Runners. Surprise, surprise for me. Almost every elite swimmer I know that gets into triathlon has plantar issues. 
opposite for runners, um, super, super loose Achilles in general, and a very tight front of the foot. So if you watch an elite runner run, like they're, it's called toe drop. When I'm in recovery, my foot is like this. So when I land, it's super relaxed, but it's landing almost even. When Steve runs and he relaxes that foot, his toe is just like, it looks like it's going to drag the ground. So then when he has to come in to hit the ground, he's either got to correct that or his toe hits and then there's a huge drop, which is hard on the, just imagine it's your planter, like the part, the bendy part of the middle of your foot that's absorbing all of that impact. Right. Yeah. So there's two completely different builds. Dancers have the same issue if they try and run plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. Well, I know you've you've given me advice to not try to work on that flexibility yeah. in the ankle. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, maybe? It's because you can swim fast enough to be a front pack triathlon swimmer without ever needing that, and the risk of creating injuries down the road of sit the classic sit on your feet. You know, like you just sit on your feet to stretch out the front of your shin. Um, you just it's a risk reward issue. And if you can be front pack in an elite triathlon field without having to do that, then why take the risk, right? right. So are you teaching them to do a two-beat kick? Preferred. That's, again, we talk about two-beat to six-beat. They can do a three-beat and swim. You can, this is it. Like, you can swim if you're fit, you have good body position and a high turnover, you can kind of kick however you want to, and it's relative fast, right? And swim like a minute 20 per 100 yards. Which yeah, is but I would argue that you're you're using more energy than you need to be using. Well, I say three-beat kick. What I mean is there's not getting any propulsion. Like there's basically no energy going into that kick. So if they dangle and it turns out being three-beat or four-beat or two-beat, um, there's no active motion back there. Well, yeah, it's just enough to keep your feet up, more or less. Yes, just enough to keep your body position. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of triathletes will swim faster with a pull buoy. Yep. Because yeah. it's correcting their body position, and their kick actually does nothing. And again, a minute 20 per 100 yards is more about body position and turnover rate. If you can just pull water, you're going to go pretty quick. So, so I know kind of coming back to then improving as a you know someone that's not native to swimming a lot of people's approach is to swim a lot of volume, try to mimic what, you know, these young college or high school, you know, and, and younger swimmers do. But I know your personal philosophy is a little bit different. Um, why do you not necessarily have a lot of your, you know, age group triathletes or anyone, even myself swimming five, six K frequently? Um, because it's such a form sport and you don't want to drill in poor body position as you fatigue. So, it goes back to the the idea that you're just going to outwork everybody instead of just improve. Because, and I say this to people all the time, if you got better last year, you beat like 95% of the age group field. Because the vast majority of people I start coaching have been doing triathlons for a very long time, and they just haven't improved at all in any sport. And it's really, they're shocked to for me to like point that out to them. Like, So you did your first Ironman when you were 35. And you went eleven twenty three, and you did your last Ironman at forty four last year, and you went eleven eighteen, and that's like, I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty much our sport is people just don't improve. Um, so if you just get better, then in ten years you're really, really, really good. I mean, double a penny for a day, right? Yeah, but that's exponential growth, which is well, completely yeah. unrealistic. <laughs> but if you so if. It's the same way people gain weight and fit people. Like I talk to the college students, there's no way I'm going to be 30 pounds overweight. I'm like, okay, if you gain five pounds a year, which is not very noticeable, that works out to like a half pound a month, not even. Not very noticeable working in no, an office job. By the time you're 30, you're 30 pounds overweight, gaining a half pound a month. That's how it happens. Um, same way, I'm a slow swimmer compared to a real swimmer, but I'll be very close to the front of the pack in a triathlon just by getting like one or two seconds a hundred faster every year for eight years or 10 years however long i've been swimming you know yeah but that you're also assuming that's a linear process and swimming yeah. it's more of like logarithmic yeah and you do i find that age groupers just plateau out at about a minute 30 to a minute 20 um but same on your ftp if you can just look at it and say people will say i want to take it from 260 to 290 
but really just take it to 265 and then 270 the next year and then 275 and in five years you're really good and healthy and you're still into the sport because you've had this progressive growth rather than just ruining yourself for a year and then quitting and coming back to it five years later and now your ftp is 230 because you haven't done shit in four years that sounds really familiar yeah that's yeah. pretty much that's age group triathlon yeah. right there was that your experience, Jen? Is that yeah. what you did? <laughs> Definitely. So your plan is to flame out and never do triathlon again? Only a few years. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, I think it gets more difficult when you at, when you train hard and you reach closer to your genetic potential. Like, Jen did... I mean, you trained pretty hard in college and you got pretty quick. Yeah. But you have a lot to grow in a half Ironman. Like, a yeah, ton I amount of I time could. to grow. Yeah. Well, one other thing, too, I, a lot of people don't realize is when you're in college, you're still, like, pretty close to, like, all your high school fitness you know, you're doing, you know, potentially three sports a year and like, you know, training fairly consistently because, you know, on a varsity sport there, you had to come to practice every day. And all of a sudden you get, come to college and you have all this fitness, you kind of reap the benefits for a while. And then, you know, you get done with college, you go to your day job and you spend five years getting out of shape and it, it never comes back as easy. <laughs> so how long do we have until the first race of the season? Um, A month ish. A month-ish. What, what do we open up with? Zatrat. My favorite race of the year because it's a small group. Uh, the weather's usually really nice down in Irvine, and it's reverse triathlon that's very spectator-friendly, so I can yell at them a lot. Can you tell us a little bit more about this reverse triathlon? Uh, run, bike, swim. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a goodie. It's a sprint. I don't know what more to say. It's just cool. Like they, You can just watch them the whole time. Like The course is just designed... I mean, they didn't design it with that intention, obviously, but it worked out that way to where you can just see them like 30 or 40 times in the race. Yeah, that was where I went to school in grad school and got my start in triathlon. So I'm actually really familiar with that course. I don't know if it's still the same as it was then, but they have like a four loop bike course and yeah. a multiple loop back, run four course. Loop up the hill and down yeah, the hill. Yeah, oh man, yeah. it's it's just straight climbing though. There's like it's up like a and half down, pipe. up and down. Yeah. A very, it, very large half pipe that they just keep doing. Yeah, and yeah. it's tough because some of those downhill corners are, are pretty sharp, so you really got to watch out. Oh yeah, some kid gets smashed every year. Yeah, and there's often like rain the day before or sometime that week, and so that makes things a little more slick as well. Exciting. It's uh, also a little bit longer run proportionally compared to most sprints and shorter swims, so it plays to the advantage of any of the, the runners on the team. Yeah, people that grew up like me and Sean, so I really love it because it gives them a shot to be leading from the start, and then all of the swimmer kids have to try and catch up through the race. Iris is going to kick some ass. She is. She almost won last year, but that girl cheated. Did they, um, did they start on the fields and then do like a lap around the fields and then run out onto a path? Like that's what they used to do. Yeah, they do. Um, it's all a cross-country style run with maybe a little bit of sidewalk. I think that was part of why I actually really enjoyed it last year was like the start was it was it felt like a cross-country race. Yeah. It kind of brought me back to high school and college doing the, you know, it wasn't a big start. There's probably only what, like 50 athletes on there. 50 guys, 50 girls. Yeah. I think they had 150 people yeah. last year. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. But it was, it was cool. It was fun. Bob Babbitt is out there. I also remember that the, the very first part of the run, you have about... 25 yards and then immediately you go from one part of the fields to the other part of the fields and so there's actually a very steep short downhill it goes down maybe 12 feet <laughs> okay, but yeah. over the space of you know five steps and so it's just like whoosh and then that really kind of that's how you know who's the strong runner because they don't really care that it's the short little runner and then all the people like me who grew up swimming are like oh my god it's a slight downhill <laughs> i'm gonna fall over so do you know already how many people on the team are signed up for that race? I think we'll get a lot just because I've spent the last two years talking about how awesome it is. So hopefully we get a lot of people. It's also pretty convenient for us. It's a 24-hour trip, which makes it really nice. We can leave one afternoon and be back the next afternoon. As opposed to <clears throat> Triton Man, which is like, if we leave at the wrong time of day, it's an eight-hour drive down there. Yeah, driving to San Diego is really hard. So whose house are you staying at in Irvine? No idea. I think probably Dane's. Yeah. He seems down. If we have any volunteers on the team, uh, now yeah. would be a good time to let us know. Jen, you live in Irvine, right? Or is it Orange County proper? Like Fountain Valley. Fountain Pretty Valley. close to Irvine. We used to stay at my house for it. How do you feel about Irvinians? Pretty cool. Some people just like rant about that community. That's why really? I was asking. I mean, that. it's nice. It's safe. It's like what America's safest. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it known city? for being... There's, there's not too much going on, but Nothing. it's a nice area. Yeah. As I recall, there's only like two bike rides that you can do. You can ride down on the back bay 
or you can ride down the coast Newport Highway. Oh, I absolutely hate riding at home. I never do it. So I always get really out of shape in the summers. She doesn't ride here. So I've been, yeah. <laughs> she saw my face light up when she said she never rides there and she knew what I was going in for. And I could saw her, like, I could see I, her like trying to I have no a defense bit. for it. Yeah. Like, I honestly don't. Like, I really don't ride enough. All right. So we've got uh, Zotrot coming up first. And then is it going to be Triton Man second? Yep. Yeah. Second, the second race is down in San Diego, Triton Man, which is a super fun one because they'll have a, a draft legal back this year. Um, which I think what two years they haven't had it. They haven't had it three years. Since I, yeah, I've been two here. years. Yeah. Why did they three? not have it for a while? Money, money, money. Also, maybe permits. I think it was a permitting thing. Yeah, I think yeah. They, they only got permits for Saturdays, uh, and and so you know something was going on Sunday that they couldn't get a permit. So if they were going to only have one race, they had just the classic. I thought the classic was usually on Sunday. Correct. So, so they couldn't get permits for Sunday then. They chose to scrap the draft legal rather than the classic. So the draft legal's back this year. Are you in it, Sean? Yep. So that's I'm super excited. I'll be uh, racing with the kids. Um, they're having a bunch of pros join the field. So um, me and I, I'm not, I actually haven't heard who else is planning on racing, but should be a really fun, good field. Is there a psych sheet or something? Because I know that in the past you could actually look up to see who'd registered for it. They will. Yeah, um, I haven't seen anything, but I also haven't looked it, it for it. It says on the website there'll be one, but I think they're just, it's semi-invite only. So they're like waiting to see who they can get, I think. Yeah, I did it the first year they, they had it, and there wasn't any special process. You just had to sign up really quick because it was limited to 50 people and it sold out yeah. fast. No, this, they're all, the slots are all pretty much accounted for in terms of like collegiate athletes, elite athletes, and then age group athletes. Do you know, are they planning on offering a, a pro card to the top yes. age grouper? Okay. Top so, three, I think. Top I think three. Yeah. EDR. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember the last year they had done it before. That was like one of the big draws for it was you could actually get your pro card mm-hmm. if you were one of the top age groupers. Yeah. They won't let me race it though. So. Why not? Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't matter. I don't matter. No. Yeah, we're, we're, we have two athletes, Jen here and, and John waltman who are, are waiting on uh hearing back maybe trying to get in as well so oh john if, is as well yeah yeah so if, if anyone I mean, from san diego is listening uh we'd, we'd love to to get these two athletes in there i think they'll make the race a lot more fun your bribe check is in the mail <laughs> john can't get in though. he's an elite though and he can't get in so far i mean they, it's just been crickets email wise so. i think they're probably just seeing who they they want to find out if all the colleges are going to fill all their spaces because, like, we have four slots for guys and four slots for girls. Um, and then I think they'll just work through, like, who they want there. So I suppose this means, since you don't have a place lined up yet for Irvine, you also don't have a place lined up yet for where to stay in we San We don't Diego. have a whole hell of a lot lined up in that regard. Normally these things are pretty easy to figure yeah, out. Yeah, there's so many they, kids. They come together. And I always, like, if we have to get a hotel room, it's not that big a deal. Like, it's just not that big a deal to do that. Yeah, especially since nationals are in Arizona this year. So oh yeah, so we there. have we're not spending much money on nationals, so I'm pretty not concerned about that. So are you starting to do any race specific training, or is it still just kind of general fitness stuff? It's all race specific. Is it? I heard you guys did like some backwards. Swimming. That was Gordon's idea. And that doesn't was, seem super. Race it was specific. Gordon's idea. He begged me, and I canceled it about halfway through. Why? Because we were going to be there an hour. <laughs> yeah, how fa- how fast do you think you can swim a, a fifty meter backwards? I have no idea. I don't quite understand what you mean by it. Is it like the underwater one, or are you like just? I mean, however you want. Feet for feet have to go first. Well, is sculling allowed? Yeah, yeah that was yeah. the fastest. Sculling well, on sense. your back with your feet. All right, I could probably do it in less than a minute. Yeah, that's what we yeah. did. Well, was right you're a good swimmer. What do you think the slow swimmers were doing it in? infinity (laughs) we had one guy who it was his first time at practice and he was about to have to swim backwards that's part of the reason why i canceled it i mean suds when he did it was i i didn't time it but i'm pretty sure it would have been close to four minutes to go across the pool uh shout out to tim's sister she figured out like a really weird water aerobics way to do it where she basically sat down like she was sitting in a chair and just breaststroke kicked and made it it was really funny looking but she was moving pretty quickly yeah, I think Rick had the fastest. Yeah, he did. But she had the fastest for not someone for, yeah, who yeah. didn't. He, like she probably was swimming. faster than me. I, I think I took about two minutes to get across. <laughs> so I've seen pictures of you coaching on deck there. So how do you decide when to do your coaching and when to swim with them? 
basically when Matt tells me to, <laughs> um, we try to get at least one time a weekend and then, um, maybe one or two where I'm in the pool with them. Uh, but it's kind of when, when Matt thinks he could use a little hand, extra help, uh, or when, you know, the team could use someone else up there to give some more feedback on stroke and stuff like that. So do you enjoy the coaching aspect? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually enjoyed it enough that, uh, when the, the Santa Barbara swim club reached out to me, I, I decided to do some coaching for them as well. Oh, wow. That's um, pretty cool. Was that a, a cold call as well? Uh, yeah. A cold text message, I guess. <laughs> um, I got him in. Yeah. Matt, Matt put the good word in. Um, I got so. Jen in too. Thanks, Matt. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Working with, uh, some pretty young kids there. Um, and, and definitely a little bit different than, uh, you know, when we're working with the UCSB kids in terms of like skill. Um, we're definitely, you know, working with some fairly beginner swimmers as well as uh, some some kids that do have some experience with, you know, swim meets and stuff like that. So so have you done any kind of interaction or coaching with kids of that age before? Not really on a formal level, no, but I enjoy it. I definitely could see myself doing more of it going forward. So how excited are you that we're not flying to nationals this year? So excited. Have we talked about on the podcast like how bad at flying Matt is? Terrified. Can you go into a little bit more depth? It's not natural. It's not. It is. Okay. You know how. Okay. Define natural. Okay. I'm going to define people separating themselves from reality. And that's what you have to do when you get into a fucking plane is you have to just kind of like separate yourself from what you're actually doing when you think about it. How- you're basically being thrown from one city to another in a like a tin can. So, That's so what it is. Do you get scared every time you get into a car? Huh? Every time no, you get because in... I drive the fucking car. If Jen's driving, I'd be terrified. But you do you probably ride in the car with other people. I do, but it's scary. Is it as scary as flying? Because it's I more, think, way more dangerous. It is way more dangerous. But if I get into a car accident, I'm likely to survive. If that plane goes down, you got nothing. You got like no. No, hope. you're still more likely to die in a car car crash. And then also, yeah, I know the most dangerous part of the trip is driving to the airport. But uh, also what's horrifying to me is, and this might be getting too real, is the idea of if something goes wrong, you know you're going to die for an extended period of time. Like you have, like, it takes a long time for those things to go down after shit goes wrong. Not necessarily. Yeah. Like I I was almost in a plane crash. I consider 30 seconds a really long time to be like, oh dear, you know, like 30 seconds count no we're not going to do that's terrible podcasting but everybody who's listening pause this and just count to 30 that's like if it crashes on takeoff what what, what would go wrong on takeoff uh i think there's like a crazy stat like the vast 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 majority of planes that crash crash on takeoff because there's no correction time so if if an engine goes down or you hit a big enough bird of all things random like that hudson that guy who landed in the hudson you're going so fast and you're only a few hundred feet off the ground. There's just no, if something, once you're up, there's like, once you've been up for like 90 seconds or two minutes, it's basically fine because if something goes wrong, they can coast back to the airport. But I bet you, you don't feel fine after you get up in the air. I don't feel fine when there's turbulence. I feel a lot better after two minutes. I like watch a minute. I watch a movie of my dog or something for like 90 seconds or two minutes. So I've only flown with Matt the once when we were flying to Nationals in Alabama, but he was like pale and shaking for most of leading up to that flight and during the flight. And I think we had to have Tim sit next to you because he makes you feel safe. I almost cried on the plane to Colorado. Like unashamedly, Elka saw me have like a true, I don't think she'd ever seen somebody have a panic attack. Like I, I, I lose it. Like that was the worst it's ever been was on the way to Colorado this Christmas. So it's, it's not really, getting any better. It's actually it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Yeah, that's not good. You want to hear bad. a real kicker? I'm flying home in like three weeks. I fly to Phoenix, then to North Carolina, then from North Carolina to DC, then from DC to North Carolina, back to Phoenix, back here. So I'm gonna have six flights in like. Five Is that anyone days. going with you? Nope. Oh no. Yeah, the people that I sit next to just like they think I have a bomb strapped to me. I'm sweating so hard. I feel like you'd be like one of the people that like grab onto them too, like just no, like for comfort. Like them. you hold. Oh, you don't want to get sick, right? But no, like I, I try and out of desperation. Them. No, I try and engage them in conversation. Yeah, and sometimes they're down for it a little bit. On the way back from Alabama, I was sitting next to a lady who'd never flown before, and she was a little freaked out. So that helped. So, so, so being being with someone that's freaking out actually helps. Oh, well, I, probably like. I don't know, like validates your fear, like someone else is feeling the same thing as you. So you kind of 
Well, I think just in general, in stressful situations, I feel better if I have to take care of someone else. I don't know if that's true for everybody, but it's like... I get that. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about going to a hypnotist? A hypnotist? A hypnotist. I've thought about... I looked into those um, immersive programs that are supposed to fix you, but they're like thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, I mean, you have a lot to fix, so... I know. Yeah. What I, what I would try to do is just go to a hypnotist like show and then like be one <laughs> of the volunteers... And then I think sometimes there's like ways you can have them like quickly correct you like for something like that. If you're listening and you have ideas, you can text most. Oh, hell. Everyone who listens to this has my phone number. Just text me. Just text so me what true. I should do. Yeah, it's so or true. Find you us need on all Instagram. The help you can get, honestly. <laughs> yeah, find yeah. my Instagram. Have you always had this fear like from the earliest time that you can remember being on the plane? Um. Yeah. I flew before I have like cognitive memory, you know, when I was really, really little. Um. I think I think a lot of it has to, as I get older, like you look back on this, my grandpa flew a bomber in World War II over Japan, and he used to tell me those stories. And it's like, I mean, that was deadly. Like, That's so different. That's, I know, like, but when you hear it when you're six years old and you watch all the documentaries. How much else do you really remember from when you're six, though? Just that. <laughs> just the image of a wing snapping off of a B-24 as it gets blown up. But you didn't even see it. No, I did. I mean, it was filmed. I did see it. Oh, he showed you the videos? Too? He showed me the video. And he's in the video. That's the crazy That's thing. It's like one of the most famous images of World War II. There's a B-24 where the left wing snaps off and it goes down. And his plane is in the background of the video. That is crazy. Yeah. That'll mess you up. So, Jen, what's next on your agenda for, um, well, your coaching experience and your work experience and your training? That's a great question. Um, I'm doing Victoria 70.3 in June, and I don't have anything on my calendar until then. So um, I was going to try to do Triton Man, but, you know, they won't let me in. So, mm -hmm. it's, uh, Are you still trying to qualify for your pro card, or is that not you really see, on the table anymore? John got his pro card, and the only reason I really wanted mine was to piss him off. So now that he has it, like, I don't, I just don't have a purpose. Like, I don't the have a honesty, point. honesty, I love it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just, I really like, I'm like Matt. I like getting under people's skin and kind of pissing them off. And I don't really want to be a pro. I don't think I'm ever going to like earn money from it. Like Sean, even if I had trained my butt off. So, so now you're on the funner size program. Yeah. I mean, I'm just enjoying it right now. I'm still kind of on a break, just trying to do a little something every day, maybe ride my bike, probably not. Um, but it's been fun going to masters occasionally, Everybody, very likes. occasionally, very occasionally. <laughs> So you said Victoria 70.3? Yeah. Um, is anyone else, like former team members or anyone else that you know going? Uh, Tim's going to do it. Uh, I know a few people have like thought about it. I think Kelsey's doing it for Masters. I don't know anyone else that is. But it know, looks really nice. Do you know uh, much about the course? Could you tell us a little bit? Yeah. So you swim in a lake and then you bike 56 miles. Yeah, I know. You would have Hilly, never guessed that. I think it's kind of rolling hills, so... There's a lot of, I kind think, of, so I'm not sure. Well... It's in Canada, yeah. right? I mean, it's like six months away. I, okay. I don't think about this as technically as you do when you race. Will, uh, you, will you tailor your, your training at all to what the course will be, or is it going to be just trying to get fit? Will you train at all? Will you try and get fit? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Honestly. We'll see. It depends on if Tim tries to get fit. He's been pretty good about it. He's been working out a lot. I'm really proud of him. Good. I, I haven't been. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's actually the reverse. If Jin gets fit, Tim gets fit. Yeah. 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 I mean, I gave myself three months to train for Indian Wells and that didn't go super well. So, you know, maybe five months this okay, time. <laughs> There's one race on the calendar before June that you need to be training for because it's just one of those required events, especially for SB locals. Oh, Kendra's race. No. No. But maybe that too. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'll do that one. I'm talking about the beer mile, of course, at Wildflower. I'm not absolutely not doing that. I tried to do a lap of it last year, and honestly, like, I can't chug beer, and I tried to do it, and I just, like, immediately ran to the bathroom and threw up. But so. do, you, do you think if you train for it, maybe uh, you could develop the stomach? Possibly. I mean, like... I mean, think about how good that would feel to beat John in the beer mile. There's absolutely no way I'm going to beat John in the beer mile. I need to think Maybe Rod? <laughs> absolutely not. Rod has trained extensively for the beer mile in the past, and there's no way I will ever beat him, no. It's his niche. That's yeah. true. Well, if you can't true. do the beer mile, there's at least long course. Absolutely not. Are you? Is anyone here doing long course? You guys? I am. Oh, yeah. Sean Definitely. is. We're all doing it. Well, Matt, have you actually signed up? Because No, I, I signed remember... up 
You actually did sign up this year, huh? Because I remember, was it last year where you actually did not get in because it sold out? Yeah. I didn't think it was going to, I didn't think it had any chance of selling out and then it did. Nice planning. Yeah. Nice planning. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a bummer. Last year was so fun too. Like the, what was it? 80s themed parties and it was, it was a good time. Yeah. Wildflower put on a good show this year. It was like the power, power bar or Gatorade Mm -hmm. show or something afterwards. Yeah. It was really great. Cliff bar tent was where it got wild. Yeah. Yeah. You, you first, you, you get your pregame on the beer mile and then you head over to that tent and, uh, stories happen. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going solely oh, to spectate and participate in the after race events this year. Is that all shit about me? Yeah, I have she a lot has of like two shit pages of you. shit on me. Yeah, I just love that well, you wrote it down ahead of time. Well, he you told me to. He literally texted me. He was like, "Jen, you're going to be on this podcast. I want you to roast me. Start thinking of things you can say about me." And the problem is, he just has no shame. So I actually texted a few people too, and they all were like. Matt has no shame. I have nothing to tell you. I don't embarrass easily. No. Comfortable in my own skin. That's good. Yeah, That's I good. Sleep good well. for you. I sleep <laughs> nice. Well. We I so we have this little problem of like we brought on we bring on people who we think will be super interesting and then you put a microphone in their face and they get really self conscious. So I spent a good chunk of time trying to prep Jen to like just speak freely. How speak. did that work out? I don't know. Go. Um let's look at <laughs> it's all the phone i know speak freely jen the things i wrote out are like pretty silly like loves ducks nose twitches like a bunny hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever noticed your nose twitches like a bunny i do that when i get nervous Wait, that's really? like a Is key it when sign for when i'm stressed watch me on a plane <laughs> i or have and it's really pla- yeah. painful yeah plainful <laughs> but i do love ducks they're like god's mistakes or why are they because they don't, they swim, fly, and run, but they don't do any of them exceptionally well compared to other things. That's relatable, yeah. Yeah. Pretty relatable. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up then. So uh, thank you all for coming today. It was uh, a pleasure talking to you. And good luck, Jen, with everything. And uh, we will see you all soon. <laughs>